Uh, we're here, Acts, Acts chapter 1. Uh, I'm excited to be able to actually teach this. Last week we went all the way from eternity past to uh, 30 AD to get us to this point of Acts chapter 1. And somebody asked me the question, uh, what is the difference between disciple and apostle? Disciple and apostle, anybody know that? Very, very simply is this, is actually the disciple is the student, it's the learner. The disciples followed Jesus around and they learned from him. But an apostle is one that is actually a delegate, a teacher, somebody that goes and teaches. The apostles that are mentioned in the scripture are the ones that actually hung out with Jesus and experienced his life on earth firsthand. Those are the apostles. So you've got the 12 disciples that actually are apostles as well because it was them that were given the authority to go out and teach and to reach the world. The difference between disciple and an apostle. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 1 Paul, or not Paul, but Luke is actually the author of this. He's the same Luke that wrote the book of Luke that we just spent 18 months going through. And he says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus. He says Theophilus, and there's not much about Theophilus that's mentioned in the scripture here. Is, uh, his name actually means dear to God or a friend of God. It's a person who Luke has now dedicated this gospel to and also its sequel, the book of Acts, to. He was <clears throat> most likely a Gentile because that is who Luke was writing to. Luke wrote to the Gentiles specifically with them in mind. So when he actually wrote the book of Luke, that was his audience. All the things that occurred in Acts had already occurred when he wrote the book of Luke. So, therefore, that was his focus. He may have received this special dedication from Luke uh, Theophilus for being a patron that helped him financially as well. Not that he paid to get his name in this letter, but He's getting some recognition, and we're not sure exactly why. He says, I write the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. That would be the book of Luke. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen the 12 disciples. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So now, after Jesus' resurrection, we are very well aware that he rose from the dead, he came out of the grave, he hung out with the disciples on the beach, he fixed them breakfast, he actually ate with them. He's physically alive and walking on the earth. 
It says in Corinthians that he actually presented himself to over 500 people during this time that he was walking on earth. It wasn't just the 12. There's multitudes of people. So he remained on the earth for 40 days. 40 days after his resurrection, he ministered to his disciples. We know that he did it. If you look through John chapter 14 through 17, he spent some some significant time on the last night with his disciples. But now he's like, now I'm going to follow up with them. He had already opened their minds. Remember this, he breathed on them, not in them, but on them the Spirit so that they could have the Old Testament, which was the only part of the Bible that they had at that time, so they could be able to understand the Old Testament, be able to read it, and to be able to interpret it. But there were still lessons that needed to be learned by this group of men so he could launch them into their new ministry. Jesus, he appeared and disappeared during these 40 days. He just like all of a sudden would show up and then all of a sudden he would be gone. He's physically there. But somehow he was able to appear and disappear and they never knew when he was going to appear. He was just there. It's pretty awesome. The period of instruction was really a time of transition for these disciples, for these apostles. In the gospel, it was the time when Jesus completed his earthly ministry. But in Acts, it was the time that Jesus prepared the apostles for their ministry. Verse 4, it says this, While he was with them, he commanded them to not, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. And then Luke quotes it here in Acts, that promise. He says, which he said, you have heard me speak about. This is Jesus speaking and Luke quoting him. Which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. If you actually go to Luke chapter 3, verse 16, which we've already discussed, it says, John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So the truth of the matter is, I'll show you here in just a second, They've always believed that there was a spirit of God. All throughout the Old Testament, they believed that there was God. There was a Messiah to come all the way from Genesis chapter 3. They believed there was a Messiah that was to come and to save them and to rescue them. But they also believed that there was a spirit, thus making the Trinity, the word Trinity, never mentioned in the Scripture. Never. It's a word that we came up with to say God, Jesus, and the Spirit. And so they've always believed that a spirit was going to come and to watch over them and protect them and maybe even empower them. It says in verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus walked with them, crucified, buried, rose again. He's hanging out with them, and the disciples, still being the disciples, go, okay, now are you going to restore the Jews? Now are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to put them in their rightful place? (laughs) It's almost like they still don't see the bigger picture. He says to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, this isn't the time. There is going to be a time when that occurs, but it's not right now, and no one knows when that is. All these people that guess, give you years, study things, and only God knows that. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That right there explains that the power the church comes from is only the Holy Spirit. Like, there's no power in this room without the Spirit. If there's something that's happening in here right now, tonight, throughout the week, it has to be through the power of the Spirit. Now, God's people experienced and repeated this filling of the Spirit, this Spirit coming upon them all throughout Scripture that you find out in Obviously, we'll get there next week. Acts chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 9, chapter 13, you're going to see the Spirit coming upon the people and empowering them. Listen to this. It's ordinary people that the Spirit came on and in and made them extraordinary. It's the power of the Spirit that takes the ordinary person and makes them powerful. That should make you pretty happy. Throughout scriptures, we have story of the Spirit coming upon people. Let, let, me, let me go back just real quick and pull in the Old Testament. All right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the Pentateuch. It's the Torah. It's what the Jews believed. Numbers chapter 11, verse 16 Watch this. It says, The Lord answered Moses, Bring me 70 men from Israel known to you as elders and officers of the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there. He's going to come down and speak to him there in the tent to Moses. I will take some of the Spirit who is on you and put the Spirit on them. This is like the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Spirit came on them back there. We always think that it's like Acts chapter 2. There is a little bit of difference. We'll get to that. But he says, I'm going to put my Spirit on them. They will help you bear the burden of the people so that you do not have to bear it by yourself. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in readiness for tomorrow and you will eat meat because you wept in the Lord's hearing. Watch this. This is awesome. Who will feed us meat? 
We were better off in Egypt. This is the Israelites complaining. The Lord will give you meat and you will eat. You will eat not for one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. That's awesome. You want meat? You're going to get meat. It's going to be coming out your nose and becomes nauseating to you. Our God is funny. You can laugh. It's all right. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and wept before him. Why did we ever leave Egypt? They were whining. But Moses replied, I'm in the middle of a people with 600,000 foot soldiers. Yet you say, I will give them meat and they will eat for a month. If flocks and herds were slaughtered for them, would they have enough? He's like, God, you're telling them that they're going to have like meat coming out their nose, but where's the meat coming from? (laughs) Moses is like, come on, God, we don't have that much. He says, if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them, would they have enough? Or if all the fish in the sea were caught for them, would they have enough? The Lord answered Moses. (laughs) Is the Lord's arm weak, Moses? Are you crazy? Now you will see whether or not what I have promised will happen to you. There's going to be meat. You're going to have that little thing that you have to put the red bar up, you know, at the restaurant, the Brazilian restaurant, that little, give me so much meat, you're going to say, stop. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. He brought 70 men from the elders of the people and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord descended in the cloud and spoke to him. He took some of the spirit that was on Moses and placed the spirit on the 70 elders. As the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they never did it again. Two men had remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad. The spirit rested on them. They were among those listed, but had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, assistant to Moses, since his youth, responded, Moses, my Lord, stop them. They're out there prophesying. Everybody else is not prophesying. They're making you look bad, Moses, because they're doing more than you're doing. But Moses asked him, Are you jealous on my account? If only the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would place his spirit on them, then Moses returned to the camp along with the elders of Israel. That's such a great story. But you go from the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah, and it talks about the spirit being brought on people, and you can go throughout the whole Old Testament, and you can actually go to the New Testament, you get to the Gospels, and the Lord puts the spirit on his disciples... He puts it on David back in the old... It it happens. And they keep waiting for this spirit. But they still ask the question, how is all this going to like play out for the Israelites? How is this going to play out for us? When do we get saved? And Jesus didn't... He didn't reject the idea of the restoration of Israel. Instead... He depoliticized it. He didn't make it about them. He made it a call to a worldwide mission. 
not only Samaria, not excuse me, not only Jerusalem, but to Judea and to Samaria, the whole world as well. Now watch, he promised two things. He promised power and he promised witness. I will bring you power and I will make you witnesses to me. He didn't say, here's your responsibility. Here's your Christian duty. Here's what, you ha- here's what you're obligated to do. Here's what you should do. He's like, I'm going to give you power and you're going to be my witnesses. It's going to be so incredible that you just naturally talk about it. He took that geographical scope of just Jerusalem and, and really, Luke does this with the whole book of Acts. If you look, Acts 1 through 8, it provides a rough outline. He talks about Jerusalem in actually 1 through 7. And then Judea and Samaria in chapters 8 through 12 of Acts, and the ends of the earth, chapters 13 through 28. So we are getting ready to watch as we go through the book of Acts this message spread all over the world. The story of Jesus led to Jerusalem. Now the story of the church is leading from Jerusalem. This is verse 9. The ascension. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That'd be so awesome. Just to be standing there. You know what I'm talking about? And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. Where did you come from? They said, these are the men, said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. You see, our Lord's ascension was an important part of his ministry. For if he had not returned to the Father, the Spirit wouldn't have ever come. He said that. He said that. He promised that in John chapter 16 when he's sitting with his disciples. He's like, I've got to go so the Spirit can come. I promise you this gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's the great thing is Luke didn't dwell on the ascension. He didn't dwell on the ascension. He quickly shifted the apostles' gaze back to the earth. Look, there goes Jesus. Let's get back here, guys. Right here. Let's stay focused right here. And, you know, I think it's the same thing. I think we have incredible spiritual experiences. We got a lot of people that are involved with the great banquet. You have incredible spiritual experiences in that event. We're getting ready to go to camp. The kids are going to have incredible spiritual experiences when they get get to camp. And it's in these moments that we don't remain because they quickly fade away. But it's after these events and after these experiences that we become witnesses to the goodness of God. That's the big deal. We share what we know 
is true, what we know is true with others. Watch this. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem. You've got the Temple Mount. You've got a Kidron Valley, which right now there's a highway that's in that Kidron Valley. And then you've got the Mount of Olives. Like, they're not that far away from each other. Maybe half a mile. You can literally see the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives and vice versa. It says a Sabbath day journey away. It's not. It's maybe an hour walk. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs. Now that may have been a full day's journey. They went back, what we believe, to the upper room where the Lord did the last supper with them. And when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Did Jamie leave? Did he get out of here? Our Fisher's policeman? We, he said that he, he knew the 12 disciples. I was going to call him up here and make him Sam. He, he escaped. Uh, but it lists them right here. In the room where they were staying, Peter, mentioned first, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Hmm. Missing one. Judas. Not there. Dead. Remember? We'll get to that in a second. It says they were continually united in prayer um, along with the women. You remember when we went back to the Gospels, we talked about how important the women were to Jesus' ministry. They did all sorts of hospitality. They helped finance his ministry. They did a lot of things for Jesus. And now they are literally there in this upper room, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let me take you back to Luke chapter 24, the last part of the Gospels, verse 50, it says, Then he led them out, of, out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. This is Jesus. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. This is his ascension. So he spreads his hands and he blessed them, and he's like going up to heaven, and they're doing this whole thing, and... They're like, what in the world? The two men come. But watch what he says. He says, and while he was blessing them, he left and carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. That journey back to the upper room, they had smiles on their faces. What did we just experience? Are you kidding me? Those kids are going to come back from camp with smiles on their faces says, and they were continually in the temple praising God. So now Jesus has ascended from the Mount of Olives, which was half a mile away. The disciples return probably to the upper room. They're in this prayer meeting, Mary's house probably. That's John Mark's mother. It's where the Lord's Supper probably happened. But think about this for a second. This is awesome. What a variety of people made up that first assembly of believers. Like this is the first time the church is right gotten together after Jesus ascended. There were men, women, apostles, 
ordinary people, and even members of the Lord's earthly family, the ones that thought Jesus was crazy at one point. Remember that? They didn't believe him during his ministry in John chapter 7, but they did come to trust him after the resurrection. Acts 1.14, which we've read now. It says uh, Mary was there. She was a member of this assembly right here, participating in worship and prayer with the others. You picturing this? The center of fellowship right now is the risen Christ, our Savior. And they were all just worshiping Him and magnifying His name. It seems like it would have been pretty easy for someone to bring division into this really just beautiful assembly of of humble people. The members of the Lord's family might have like puffed up and claimed some kind of special recognition. Well, you know, he's my brother, my half-brother at least. Or Peter could have been criticized because he's the one that cowardly denied the Savior right before his crucifixion. Or perhaps... Peter could have blamed John because John's the one who led him to the high priest's house there at the very end. There could have been all sorts of stuff going on in that upper room right there. John might have reminded the others that he was called beloved. He he referred to me as beloved. You know what I'm talking about, all that's going on, but there there was none of that. There was none of that in this room. In fact, nobody was even arguing about who was the greatest among them. The disciples weren't. There was absolute unity in the room because they were focused on Christ alone. That was it. Not all the stuff going on around them, not what everybody's done, not what they should have done, everything like that. The key phrase here is they were in one accord. They were together. They were on the same page. There was among this believers just this wonderful unity that bound them together in Christ. It's the kind that we need today. So now, Jesus has set this pattern of prayer for his disciples and he even has downloaded it to Paul later on in Acts. And we can see the importance of prayer. Paul says to the the church in Rome, he says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. He says, be patient in affliction. There's affliction going on in this room right now. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. He says to the people in Colossae, chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in the, in, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak to the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Paul even is like saying, there's an important part of this Christian life, and that's just... Communicating with the Lord, having prayer, 
Jesus literally patterned that for his disciples, the apostles, during his time. And here's the interesting thing. Pentecost is about to come in the next chapter. But So what are they doing? They're spending their time literally waiting. We're waiting. What do we do while we wait? Pray. That's a great answer. What am I supposed to do? Rusty, what am I supposed to do about this? Uh, you might wait for an answer. And if you're going to wait, you might as well pray about it. I, I'm not really sure. Okay, well, just wait. You'll know. You'll know. You, you realize there's no effective witness out there of the goodness of Christ without the Spirit. So you be better off just waiting. And then we get to the last part of, of Acts chapter 1. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. Even though he didn't have to flaunt it, even though he didn't have to say it, Peter is really portrayed throughout Luke and Acts as one of the primary leaders. He was just listed first here in this list of disciples. That doesn't mean that he possessed sole authority over the group, or even that he was beyond rebuke. Because we know Paul later rebukes him. He's a humble leader. It says, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters... The number of people who were together was about 120. Mary had 120 people in her house. I've been to what they believe is the upper room, and you can get 120 people in there. It'd be crowded. You can get them in there. And said, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Jesus was the one responsible for Jesus being arrested. For he was the one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages, which was 30 pieces of silver. He fell head first, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. If you remember, back on, I believe it was November the 8th, November the 4th in my notes, we talked about this. Lesson number 77. Go back and listen to it on the Gospels. But we talked about Judas, and Judas went and hung himself, but he had bought this, the, they had bought this field with those 30 pieces of silver. And it was right before, it was right before, all the sacrifices were to, make, to be made, and the city couldn't be unclean, so they literally took Judas's body down off, and they threw him over the wall, and his intestines spilled out. He hung himself, but because they needed to cleanse the city before the sacrificial lamb, they threw him over the wall, and it spilled out. Go back and listen to that November the 4th last year. It says, this became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language that field is called 
I'm not even going to say it. That is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalm, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Uh, one of the Jewish educators named Arnold Fruchtenbaum wrote about Judas in his series, The Life of Christ. He said this, According to Jewish law, if there was a dead body in Jerusalem, the city was considered defiled, and the morning Passover sacrifice could not be offered and could not be celebrated. However, Jewish law goes on to say that if a body is taken and cast into the valley of Hinnom, a place of burning, then the city is reckoned and cleansed and the Passover can be partaken of, and then later they can return and bury the body. If you want more information, go back and listen to that. Verse 21, it says this, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that we become a witness with us of his resurrection. We've got to pick somebody in this crowd that's been hanging out with us 12. It's not just us 12, but of those maybe a 100 so disciples, there's got to be someone else that will fill Judas's position. So they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's heart. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. What's the trivia question? Who was the apostle that replaced Judas? Matthias. But was it, was it wrong for them to select a, a new apostle? Some claim because Paul was the one who was chosen by God to fill up the ranks, maybe he should have been that apostle. They chose Matthias, and you never hear of Matthias again. Except for Peter and John, actually none of the twelve are mentioned by name in the books of Act, Acts after chapter 1, verse 13. Hmm. Paul couldn't have filled the ranks because he never met the these qualifications, these divine qualifications that were established in Acts chapter 1, 21 and 22. Paul, Paul wasn't baptized by John the Baptist. He didn't travel with the apostles when Jesus was with them on earth. And though he saw this glorified Christ and Christ downloaded him all the things that he needed to know about Jesus' ministry. He wasn't one of the original apostles. There's no way that Paul could fill this position. And Paul even makes it clear as he goes throughout the Scripture, I'm not to be classified with the twelve. Those twelve are different than me. And if the twelve thought that Paul was supposed to be one of them, they certainly didn't show it to Paul in his ministry. In fact, they, 
they refused to admit Paul into Jerusalem at one point. The fellowship had to come through Barnabas, who rescued that whole relationship. It's in Acts chapter 9, we'll get there. So the 12 apostles, they primarily ministered to the 12 tribes of Israel. Therefore, there had to be a 12th apostle to fulfill that prophecy. And Paul was actually sent to the Gentiles. The 12 apostles, they're Jews, and they went to the 12 tribes and witnessed to them. Paul, still a Jew, but he went to the Gentiles. Now, I guarantee you, Paul was not pinpointed to be the 12th disciple. Peter and the other believers were in the will of God when they selected Matthias. But here's the interesting thing. We see throughout the whole New Testament that uh, the lots were cast, right? This is the last time in Scripture that a lot was casted and mentioned when they selected Matthias. Why is that? Because what's about to happen in chapter 2, the Spirit not only comes on them, but takes up residence inside of them, they no longer need to cast lots for. Because the Spirit will tell them exactly what they need to do. You want to know the good news? You've got that same spirit. No, no need to cast lots. No need to... You've got the same spirit that we just read about all the way back in the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Old Testament, the Gospels. Amen. Ha. Huh is living in you. Holy cow. That's amazing. I say it every week. You just need to hear it every week. You need to hear it every week. There's a loving, holy God that has chosen to take up residence inside of you. And He will talk to you. He will walk with you. He will walk you through your temporary afflictions. He will hold you in your grief. He will guide you. He will direct you. You just get to know Him. That's the deal. Get to know Him. Figure that thing out. That means it's time to go. Jesus, thank You. Thank You for, uh, man, for dying for our sins, giving us life through Your resurrection, sending the Spirit come inside of us. Thanks for your story that we can literally see this in history as it ties in with history and how it all plays out in the life of these men and women. I thank you for your word that we can be here this morning and study it. May you make it come alive and be a reality to us today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.